0: welcome back to your life welcome back to your life i have heard this phrase over and over as i've made my personal preparations for lent lent in conflict with conventional wisdom is the season when christians prayerfully revisit god's urgent mercy in christ the season in which we are immersed in the soundscape and landscape of life as it is, not life as I'd like it to be. This is not time for New Year's resolutions or self-help. Life, for the first garden dwelling humans, is ambiguous. And if you've lived any amount of time, I would assume, and I can only speak for myself, that life is ambiguous for you at times too. The consuming of the fruit, an act of curiosity and maturation, is not dissimilar from the toddler who touches the blistering stovetop, the supervisor who tests how many of their employees' buttons they can push. The nagging customer determined to set the Guinness World Record for most number of managers spoken to in one visit. The shoplifter who is just trying to make ends meet. Lent is the time when you and I pause. Take stock of who we are, and more importantly, take stock of who God is. Is my heart littered with resentments I mistake for keepsakes? Is God angry with me, or am I projecting my frustration with myself and the limitations of other people onto God? when I am still enough to be able to listen to the face of Jesus, to read his nonverbal expressions of patience and mercy, what do I hear? What do I hear? Again, I'll speak for myself. I hear the Savior say, welcome back to your life, not your spouse's life, Don't turn and stare at them right now. Or your child's life. Or your parent's life. Kids, don't look at your parents. Or my enemy's life. I hear Jesus say, welcome back to your life, Broderick. The Garden of Eden, that place of budding potentiality, is wherever you or I come of age, wherever you or I lose our innocence, wherever you or I are a little bit less naive than before. It is that place or circumstance that matures us, that opens our eyes to the world and our lives as they are. In the oldest Hebrew text... The first human beings, and you may have noticed this in the Genesis reading, are not given proper names. They are simply Ha-Adam, or earthling, or person of the dust, person of the earth, and ha isha woman of the dust. These first human beings are stand-ins for those of us in this room who have ever faced a reasonable proposal from a convincing voice. If you just make this inquiry, call this number, or make this connection, doors will open for you. All three proposals are just ambiguous enough, just even-handed enough to sometimes make us bite. They are their own trees of the knowledge of good and evil. One gray tree in a garden replete with other gray trees that aren't unmistakably good or evil. And when I am my most honest, I can admit that my life, and this is Lent, so this is when we're re- we're supposed to always be honest in church, but this is really the season for honesty. Not that we're not honest in other parts of the year. When I'm my most honest, I can admit that my life is often a series of goods that isn't as clear as the devil on one shoulder and an angel on the other. Can anybody relate to that? And perhaps that is the subtle power of Lent. God is present with for and to me in the fog of everyday life. Notice, if you will, that the serpent's words and God's words are almost indiscernible from one another. In one place, the woman says that God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, or you shall die. The serpent then says, you will not die, For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And I don't mean to spoil the story for those of you who have never read the Bible before or to be a literalist. But those two human beings, the earthlings, the children of the dust, do not indeed die when they eat of the pleasurable fruit. Instead, they are exiled from the garden. Yes, they eventually die, but they do not instantly die, as one might assume. In an instant, their eyes are opened, just as God said and just as the serpent said. And the world becomes more complex than it was just moments before. Again, I say, welcome back to your life. Or at least, welcome back to my life. An intricate muddled patchwork of people, experiences, choices, and challenges. The subtlety, the tension, the slow boil of the harm we've done to others, the harm done to us, the harm done to others, done on our behalf and the various cuts, scrapes, mistakes, and fumbles that await us. I'm sorry to break the bad news, but the the trouble still comes. The mistakes still happen. Traditionally, Christians have described this web of weakness as sin. 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 And in the next breath, Christians traditionally mention grace, shorthand for the way that God lavishes the world with free gifts of love, forgiveness, wisdom, community, gentleness toward others, ourselves, and our planet. St. Peter is so enthusiastic about grace. So excited about this gift of being intimately known and treasured by Christ that he refers to it in 1 Peter 4, verse 10, as manifold grace. Manifold grace. In other words, a grace in every color, a grace of every variety for every circumstance. A bespoke grace, if you like clothes. A tailor-made grace suited to every subtle contour of your situation. God has a grace for it. And God uses this diverse array of graces to hold us, carry us, and dandle us on the knee of divine love. While we live in God's eternal now of grace... Some moments of grace stand out. They're a little bit more obvious than others. Writing in the fourth century Middle East, St. Ephraim the Syrian referred to these moments as the fragrance of the garden wafting into our present. The fragrance of the garden wafting into our present in his poetry collection called Hymns on Paradise, he includes the following verse, quote, the breath that wafts from, one, from some blessed corner of paradise gives sweetness to the bitterness of this region. It tempers the curse on this earth of ours, end quote. When I'm quiet enough, When I'm still enough, I hear this song, and actually, sometimes when I'm not, God will just break through all of that. (laughs) And I can hear this song in the throats of those first human beings as they come of age, having tasted of the pleasurable fruit. The garden is their original home, the first place they knew intimacy with God. The garden is not lost. The garden is not misplaced, for its lusciousness and sumptuousness cannot be easily forgotten. It exists in the present moment, right here with us. Its sweet fragrance wafting into this most bitter region east of Eden, tempering the curse, a sweetness molten enough to adapt to the curse's curves and crevices. In those passing moments, they and we are inhaling grace. Amen.